Hello, everyone. You are listening to the 50 Years Ago on Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week I take you on a nostalgic trip back 50 years to learn about some of the hockey news that was taking place 50 years ago this week. And this particular show, we will examine the period from July 13th to July 19th, 1970. Our podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. They are newspapers.com, which is the world's largest online newspaper archive. Their support's been crucial to our research as they enable us to access all the newspapers and all the news items that we find from Hockeyland of the 1970s. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall provide... Uh, Beautiful, great, outstanding craft beers, many of which are from recipes from the town's first breweries back in the late 1800s, and they are great. I hope when all this pandemic stuff is over and things get back to normal, we could meet some of our listeners at the break wall in Port Colborne for a beer and a burger. Even though we're in the summer now, and we're in the summer back 50 years ago, there was a bit of hockey news being made. Last week, we uh, talked about uh, Gordie Howe's thoughts on a new contract and how long he may or may not be playing. We heard from Charles O'Finley, the new owner of the Oakland Seals, and the plans for his uh, hockey team. And we had a nice story about the Bruins' Wayne Cashman and his role in helping a young boy regain the will to learn to walk again after some debilitating leg injuries. This week, uh, while it wasn't a terribly busy week in the hockey world 50 years ago, uh, there were some interesting stories that popped up that we'd like to tell you about. There were some that uh, actually had some effect down the road in the hockey world. The Vancouver Canucks named their first captain. We'll talk about who that is. And we'll find out how ticket sales were going for the Canucks as well. Uh, We'll find out about an NHL star who had great success using those banana blade, radically curved blade sticks, and he's given them up this year. And we'll talk about that. And we have a a nice little surprise. We have a a little chat with the great Eddie Shack. I sat down with Eddie for a while uh, uh, back in the the fall before all this pandemic stuff started. And uh, he gave me some insight into some of the early days in his hockey career. Lots of other news and notes as well, so let's get to that right now. First up, uh, the junior hockey scene in uh, Canada was making a lot of news back at this time. As you mentioned, the uh, Canadian Amateur Hockey Association had decided to carve up junior A hockey in Canada into a two-tier system with the elite teams and, of course, Tier 1 and lesser junior A leagues in Tier 2. In Ontario, a new Tier 2 league... uh, organized itself with six teams in southwestern Ontario, but they weren't all in southwestern Ontario. Actually, only five of the teams were in the Ontario province. They were St. Thomas, Guelph, Welland, Brantford, and Chatham, and they would be joined by a junior A team from Detroit. The league had at this point not yet been named 
Uh, but they were to hold a meeting within the next couple of weeks because they were hoping that they would get other centers to join in and have more than just six teams. The league would open play on October 2nd, 1970. Now, there wasn't a lot much uh, known at the time about who the organizers were, uh, who was going to run the teams. Now, I, I live in the Niagara region at that time, and uh, Welland was very close to where I lived. And we'd heard rumors that they had a former NHL player who would be brought in to run the entire hockey operations, and we couldn't wait to see who that would be. The city of Sault Ste. Marie in northern Ontario has just erected a couple of really nice signs on roads leading into the community, the main highways that is, uh, proclaiming itself as the home of several NHL stars, principally brothers Phil and Tony Esposito. The construction of the signs wasn't even a decision of town council, however. The municipal roads department in that city took it upon itself to erect the billboards. Also mentioned on the displays are some other NHLers from the Sioux, Matt Ravlich of the LA Kings, Chico Mackey of the Blackhawks, the North Stars' Lou Nanny, and Gene Ubriaco of the Oakland Seals. Here's a, an interesting story brought up by sports columnist Jim Kearney of the Vancouver Sun out of uh, and the stories out of Vancouver concerns the Canucks uh, started out as a football story ends up being a hockey story a company called Canadian Visual Productions was going to be installing billboard size video screen at Empire Stadium in Vancouver to provide fans of Canadian Football League games instant access to video replays of crucial moments in the games. Of course, the screen's always up there as well as a revenue generator for the CFL as the ads will be sold locally for a very pretty penny. Jim Kearney the great uh, Sun columnist, wrote about the project and he explained its virtues and also some of the drawbacks. CVP, Canadian Visual Productions, said that while the football stadium will be its first installation, the screen is much more suited to an indoor venue, say a hockey arena. CVP President Dave Hubbard, who previously worked as a radio ad salesman, you see where we're going here, folks, says that the lighting inside a rink would provide a much better image presented to the fans. Now, there's a lot of discussion going around about this, uh, people for and against it. One group sure to protest any such project in the NHL are the referees, perhaps maybe being a, a little too sensitive to their fallibility. Lloyd Gilmore, a veteran NHL zebra at the time, spoke with Jim Kearney and had this to say. Look, we blow a few calls, but when we make decisions, we got to stick by them. Why do you have to stick by a decision if it can be shown to be uh, incorrect, Lloyd? Gilmore went on to say, look, we know we blow a few calls. Can you imagine blowing one against the Bruins in Boston? He went on to say that if a replay showed the referee's goof in slow motion to the fans, it could really shake a guy up, a guy up meaning the referee who made the bad call. It could also lead to an incompetent official losing his job, and deservedly so, couldn't it? If you're going to make it better, what what's the downside except for a few hurt feelings? 
by a guy who gets paid pretty well to do what he does. Now, it could be that the reason the refs are worried and ought to be is that many of them aren't up to officiating the National Hockey League game at the speed and skill at which hockey is played in 1970. All of these National Hockey League on-ice officials have pretty much one thing in common. They're failed players. Players who were unable to make it as pros, and most of the time it's not because they didn't possess the physical skill needed to compete at an elite level. It's usually because they were unable to mentally process the game, and you've heard the term think the game, if you will, at a superior level that elite players do on a routine basis. So it's no wonder they have trouble making the snap decisions a hockey official has to make all the time. A replay available to all might force these guys to actually work harder at their craft and might prompt the best hockey league in the world to actually put some thought into whom they hire to what boils down to manage their game. Boston Bruins star right winger Kenny Hodge, who, by the way, just installed a huge swimming pool in the shape of his sweater number eight at his Massachusetts home, says that he will be discontinuing the use of the curved stick. Now, Ken, as you know, has had a lot of success scoring goals over the past couple of years, and he's used one of the most radically bent blades in the league. Ken's announcement comes on the heels of the NHL saying that it will be limiting the amount of curvature in NHL sticks starting this season. Ken says he wants to have more control over his shot and to that end the new sticks he's ordered from Sherwood will have a hook of only a quarter to half an inch. Here's what Ken had to say. He started out by saying that with all the clamor of the curved blade in recent years Ken actually figured that it's only a matter of time before the curved stick is banned altogether. Thinking ahead, Ken said that after the playoffs last year and the Bruins Stanley Cup win, he went up to Montreal to the Sherwood Stick Company, uh, and Ken actually represents them in the off-season, uh, stick sales to teams and stuff like that. And uh, he had a bunch of straight blades, or almost straight blades, made up. He was right at the factory, and he experimented right there with the quarter inch to half an inch curved on the blade. Ken found that he had more control of his shots with the new blade. Now, whether he lost any speed in the shot, he really doesn't know. Uh, he won't know, of course, till he gets on skates. And the best feedback will be from goalies Jerry Cheevers and Eddie Johnson of the Bruins, who I'm sure will be peppered with shots from Ken Hodge in training camp. Ken finally had this to say. A curved stick can make the puck do all sorts of things. If you happen to get the sticks too far out in front of you, your shot can wind up going into the organ loft. Here's a story out of Detroit this week. Detroit Free Press helping us. Jack Barry actually with that, the fine hockey writer for the Free Press. Everyone knows that the Olympia Arena in Detroit is getting old 
It's also not the most roomy rink, hot, steamy in the in the spring when the playoffs are on. An octopus can barely survive on the ice out there with the heat in that rink sometimes. Well, the firm that designed the Houston Astrodome has proposed a similar project in Detroit to be built in the areas adjacent to and just north and west of Tiger Stadium. This huge project would actually include two domed stadiums. One would house the baseball tigers, football, and of all things dog racing, and it would seat 70,000 people. The smaller stadium adjacent right on the same site would house 20,000 fans for hockey. Bruce Norris of the Red Wings, you can see his eyes light up. 20,000 fans instead of the 13 and change they usually get in the Olympia. Lots of money for the owner there. The project at this point in time in 1970 was only in the proposal stage and it had to be considered a long way from reality. But at least what we saw at this time was people in Detroit working at something to rejuvenate a city that was in considerable distress at that point in its history. Lots of news out of Vancouver this week where the expansion Canucks will begin their play this fall in the National Hockey League. Up until this week, 50 years ago, they hadn't had a scouting director but they have one now. They hired John Peanuts O'Flaherty, the former coach of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A, St. Catharines Blackhawks, and a hockey lifer if there ever was one. That uh, Junior A coaching gig in St. Catharines was meant of one of many jobs that Peanuts held over the years. Now, Peanuts O'Flaherty is quite the character, so at least things are going to be very interesting in the Canuck Scouting Department. Clancy Loranger of the Vancouver Province, another one of the fine group of hockey writers in Vancouver at that time in history in 1970. Uh, this week, 50 years ago, he had a great column. Uh, it just so happened that all of Bobby Hull, Jean Beliveau, and Gordie Howe were in Vancouver this week doing off-season promotional work and visiting local hockey schools. Clancy mused how great the expansion Canucks could be if they could lure these three to the West Coast to play out the rest of their careers. Can you imagine the Canucks with a first line of Bellabo at center, Bobby Hull on the left wing, and Gordie Howe on the right? That would be pretty impressive. More with the Canucks and their marketing uh strategies and trying to attract fans well as of the second week of july the canucks had yet to arrange for television or radio broadcasting rights the story going around the nhl at that time was that the new nhl club was being unreasonable in the price they were asking 
for the broadcasting rights. Canucks Vice President Lyman Walters, who's an executive for the team owners, Metacore of Minnesota, said that the asking price of $300,000 is way more than reasonable. Walters says that the Canucks are an extremely attractive franchise at this point, very popular, very much in demand, and someone will come forth with that kind of cash to put the Canucks game's before the public. Walters had uh, a lot of facts to cite as to why the Canucks are such an attractive uh, uh, entity, and this kind of gives you an idea of how the team is being marketed at this time. Walters cited a lawyer far, far away in Thunder Bay, Ontario, who's purchased six season tickets to Canucks games. Uh, he talked about ex-Canadian national team member Roger Bourbonnet, who was a fine player for the Canadian national team in recent years. He's now a lawyer in Edmonton. He has sold out a charter flight, which will bring 182 people into Vancouver from Edmonton, for every home game. They'll get dinner, the hockey game, a post-date game cocktail, and return home that night for a cost of a whopping $72 each. Walter says that the Canucks had already, at this early point, sold 3,700 tickets to people who'll be coming in for games from various points on the Canadian Prairie. The Canuck office is deluged with mail from people from as far away as Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, way over on the other side of the continent, asking for schedules, rosters, yearbooks, all down the Pacific coast as far as San Diego, wanting to know what radio station will be carrying the games. And locally, Walter says that throughout British Columbia, merchants and hotels and restaurants, travel agents are eager to cooperate where they previously they'd say, we'll let you know. Now they're eager to get involved in any promotional ideas that the Canucks might suggest for them. Walters also said that the uh, leading name player for the Canucks, Orland Curtinback, who was just named the team's first captain has already been approached by the team and other uh, people interested in marketing regarding various endorsements and thinks he might have to get himself a manager. Orlin Curtinback needs a manager for all his promotional work. There will be even more interest on the prairies next fall because the Canucks hope to eventually have a farm team out on the Canadian prairies uh, they will be playing six exhibition games in Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Medicine Hat, and it's quite possible that at least Calgary or Edmonton will end up being a farm team for the Canucks in the Western Hockey League. In short, although the Canucks are Vancouver's team, Walter like to think that the Canucks will become a lot of other folks' teams too. Canada's team? Maybe not quite yet, but they're working on it. As we mentioned, the Canucks did name their first captain this week. And the naming of a captain, especially for a first-year team, always seems to sort of make the team more real. They haven't played a game yet, haven't put on a uniform yet, but they have a guy who is now their leader, and that leader is Orlin Curtinback. And the interesting thing about Big Kurt 
He's very familiar to hockey fans in Vancouver. He actually began his professional career in the 1957-58 season in the Western Hockey League with the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks general manager Bud Poyle said that he actually had the role of captain in mind for Big Kurt when he selected him in the expansion draft from the New York Rangers. Here's a bit of a classy move by the New York Rangers, and we know who was responsible for this. It was Amy Cat Francis, the Rangers general manager. The Rangers, it seems, uh, after the death of Terry Sawchuck, had all of Terry's goaltending equipment. They had actually two sets of equipment belonging uh, to Terry that Terry used, and Francis decided to do the right thing. Uh, one set of the hockey equipment was sent naturally to the Hockey Hall of Fame, where it will be on permanent display. And even here, 50 years ago, you can still see Terry's equipment there, especially the iconic mask. The other set of equipment, what was done with that? Well, it was shipped to Detroit, and that's where Terry's oldest son at the time, 16-year-old Jerry, lives. That set of equipment was given to Jerry, who actually is a goaltender in the amateur hockey system in the Motor City. Nice move by the New York Rangers, I think. Well, here's one thing that the Montreal Canadiens may not have been as successful as they usually are, and that's the American Hockey League team in Montreal known as the Voyageurs. A Montreal radio station this week said that the Voyageurs of the AHL will move to Halifax, Nova Scotia, or at least play some games of the American Hockey League team in the Maritime City. The report says that over $50,000 will be spent on the Halifax Forum to make it up suitable for American Hockey League games. At this point in time, the Canadians were making no comment on the story, and the no comment usually means there's smoke, while maybe not an all-out fire. It's known that the crowd sizes of Voyagers games last season, a team that was in first place for much of the season, a very successful team on the ice, the crowds were hugely disappointing to Montreal management. Sticking with media, some media outlets around North American hockey are reporting that former Bruins coach Harry Sinden is being considered as a replacement for Bill Mazur as a color man of the NHL Game of the Week broadcasts on the CBS television network in the United States. What most of us were worried about hearing that they were going to change Bill Mazur was that they might want to change the play-by-play man, Dan Kelly. Dan, one of the best in the business, uh, for my money, one of the best ever, would retain his position as play-by-play man for CBS while also uh, carrying on as the main play-by-play broadcaster for the St. Louis Blues. And one other note this week in a very abbreviated news uh, format this time around. 
Uh, it's the Oakland Seals, and they have hired their defenseman, Doug Roberts, who's a citizen of Michigan, by the way, uh, to work for the team this summer as a promotional rep for the club. Doug will assist the Seals season ticket drive team and will be available for all kinds of speaking engagements in the community. Doug would like to put down roots in uh, the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, and this is a good way to get to be known in the community. Good for Doug Roberts going to work for the Seals. We'll see how he likes working for Charlie Finley, though. So that is a rather abbreviated list of news for the week. As you can imagine, we're in the middle of July 1970 and not a lot of hockey news is being generated. Uh, So here's what we're planning for the rest of the summer. Over the winter, we did a series of very uh, interesting, great interviews with hockey people, some from the broadcasting world, some former players, some authors, historians. We'll be presenting excerpts uh, from those interviews over the rest of the summer, along with whatever news that uh, gets generated in the particular week we're, we're talking about. Our first interview is not a long one, only about five minutes, but it was really interesting as we sat down with the great Eddie Shack at the Steel T- Case Tavern on Woodbine Avenue in North York. Uh, there's a, a bunch of us that each uh, first Monday of every month The NHL alumni, mainly guys from the original six, getting up in age now, would get together to socialize at the Steelcase Tavern for lunch first Monday uh, of every month. And uh, one Monday we had Eddie Shack on hand, and I got to sit down with Eddie and talk to him about some early points in his career. Uh, Now, unfortunately, the background noise rendered uh, a little bit of the audio way lower than the quality we like to present. But we did get a, a, a little bit from Eddie about his first training camp with the LA Kings after he'd been traded to that team from Boston in the 1969 offseason. Eddie then went on in a little bit of rambling as he likes to do, and he talked about other coaches, uh, especially Phil Watson, and his experience with Phil and how he almost left the NHL for good before his career even got started. Pretty interesting clip from Eddie Shack. Well, that's when Cook, Cook, Jack Kent Cook, owned the team. And he wanted to get publicity for in L.A. and that. And then the, yeah. he, what they did, they brought me in from... Toronto to Barry, uh huh, and that was training camp. So they took you in by helicopter. Yeah, they took me in by helicopter. They wanted to cause some excitement or whatever it is. Oh yeah, well you certainly did that. What'd you think of Jack Kent Cook? Oh, he, he was all right, but when I went down and he said, "What do you think of?" Uh, you know, he, he was so proud of the, of the arena, right? Mm-hmm. And I said to him, "Oh, just like uh, Boston Gardens." <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, he must have been mad at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you have to watch it with him because he thinks he's so much, and then I and like with me. Uh, playing in L.A., I had fun and I did what I wanted, wanted to do, and I like that didn't bother me. And then they had the, the coach they had was Hal uh, Halako, right? So the, the the first game we play, I get a hat trick. Uh huh. And then he wants to he wants to 
to be the coach he wants to he's wants to do everything his way right he's the boss yeah he wanted me to back check and I said go and stick it in your crease I'm not back checking I'm I score goals you know what I mean and, uh-huh. but uh, certain coaches I didn't get along with Phil Watson right I didn't yeah. get along with him very well right our, our first when I played for like from Guelph to New York that's what that's when I went and then mm-hmm. playing for New York we we we, we weren't going that well, eh? And then we we lost like five games, and then it was Andy Bathgate, Dean Prentice, uh, like all the old Rangers, all the old Rangers, right? So then we're gonna have a meeting, and it's in Montreal, and we're sitting around, and the meeting, nothing will be held against you. You can say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I said, isn't that great, eh? Like you know what I mean? If you feel like you. you, you so it goes to Bathgate, well, maybe we should work a little harder. Goes to Fontanato, maybe we should, you know what I mean, getting more sleep. Maybe we should be, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. thinking more about hockey and everybody. And I said, Phil, well, everything that you've said to me has gone in this year and out the other. Well, holy, it, it, it was canceled right there. I said, well, maybe we might get some more really good stories about you, Phil, right? <laughs> That's Go. Funny. The meeting's finished. We walk out in the hallway. He says, "You're going to Springfield." Uh-oh. I said, "Isn't that something, eh?" Now nothing be held against you. And here I am, 20 years old, and I'm going to Springfield, right? So I went to Springfield, Eddie Shore, and oh, Matt must have been. And then I, I, I got sent down for two weeks. That, and then, then they, they bring you back and they trade you or whatever they want, right? So now I, I get sent down, and then there was... Uh, Don Cherry was there too, right? Okay. And then Eddie, Eddie Shore, he, he was, like, owned the arena and everything else. And he used to have to sell pop and everything else. And yeah. The, and the, and the, the, uh, the interviews would be a lot longer than, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now I go down to Springfield... I'm getting hat tricks. I'm getting, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Eddie Shore <laughs> loves me, right? And I now they phone me to come back, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not coming back. I'm not. You told him you weren't going back. I'm not to the going NHL. back. I said wow. I don't. I'm staying here. I'm 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 enjoying it. I'm having fun. Then Bathgate, and then uh, George George Sullivan. Red Sullivan, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He then he they they talked me into coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So I come back and I get traded. So to Toronto. No, I get oh, tra- traded to Detroit. But get to, it didn't go through. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I went like it was uh, Red Kelly, mm-hmm. and there was was. Uh, Billy, uh, Bill Gadsby, Bill Gadsby yeah. and myself for, for Red Kelly yeah. and McNeil or whatever mm-hmm. it was, right? Billy McNeil. So now we get traded, and then I'm mouthing off to to uh, Watson again. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> and I'm saying, to the, and then all of a sudden now, the deal falls through. Red's not going to New York, and now I'm mad at Red, right? Because he's he's not going to New York, and then the, then the deal. Is canceled. Oh my! So now I got to go back to New York, and then, and then everything else. 
it, it, it worked out perfect because when Red then then I got traded to, to Toronto, and then uh, and then I met so many great people and I and and people loved me in Toronto. You know what? Oh, I mean? they did. We all did. Yeah, and then they treated you with a little bit of you know. Okay, Eddie. Hi, how are you? Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Eh? I will talk to you again for sure. And that is our show for this week, everyone. Uh, slightly abbreviated. We did have some news. And, of course, we had some fun with the great Eddie Shack. So what did we learn from this episode? Well, we learned the Vancouver Canucks named their first captain. And we found out a bit about how the marketing campaign for the new Canucks is going. And how confident they are that they're going to be getting a lot of money for their broadcasting rights. Uh, we learned that at least one National Hockey League star... The Bruins' Ken Hodge has decided to drop the banana blade curve stick, opting for the less radically bent blade in order to control the puck and his shot much better. And of course, we learned a little bit about Eddie Shack and especially the early days in his career and his love-hate relationship with fiery Phil Watson, who was the coach of the Rangers at the time. Next week, some of the news that uh, we'll talk about. Well, we talk about Jerry Seltzer. You remember him? He's the uh, sportsman from Oakland who was competing with Charles O. Finley to buy the Oakland Seals. Both Finley and Seltzer presented proposals to the National Hockey League Board of Governors. Seltzer will tell us why he knew the fix was in in that so-called competition for the team when he made his presentation. We'll have more from Jim Kearney, who will uh, talk even a bit more about big video screens showing instant replays in hockey arenas. We have some other player news that was taking place at that time, including some bad news for the new Buffalo Sabres. And if time permits, I think we're going to have a little bit of some interviews I did with former Maple Leaf goalie and Islanders and Oilers and Buffalo Sabres goalie scout and goalie coach Eddie Chadwick plus much more as well the 50 years ago in hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole and we can't thank him enough for all his hard work in getting this out every week the Toronto indie rock group known as the Rural Alberta Advantage provides our introductory and our exit music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform live, if they ever get to perform live again, please take them in. It's a great show, high energy, and they'll really get you going. Other musical pieces and sound effects are by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files at the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and of course, the many publications found at newspapers.com. Don't forget to give a listen to the Council of Council of Dads podcast, which is slowly drawing to a close. That's hosted each week by Andy Cole, our producer. This is a humorous look at the popular TV show, Council of Dads, where each week Andy and co-host Cole Osborne, and, uh, and uh, often many uh, guests, some even from Hollywood, delve into the issues surrounding the storylines in the show, Council of Dads. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. Uh, we have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com, and of course, you can get us through your favorite podcast app and now even on YouTube. 
Thanks again to everyone who tunes into the show every week. We're having a riot bringing this to you. And uh, we have maybe even more editions in the works soon to be announced. And on that note, we will bid you adieu and we'll see you next time. When the-